Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, August the 22nd, 2022. It is currently 9.24 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, I woke up this morning. I did what I typically do. I started listening to some podcasts, took a shower, started getting ready, and finally I made my way into the kitchen. And as soon as I walked into the kitchen, taped to the microwave was a note. The note said, call your, and I won't give her name, call your sister, I'll say it that way, call your sister, she really needs to talk to you, and then there was the phone number. And immediately I thought, oh no, oh no, I wonder what is going on. I hope this is not bad news. I, I, I started thinking of all worst case scenario, this could, this could really be bad. This could be a, a difficult situation. For some of you may know this, many of you probably do not. My sister has a long history of severe drug addiction and alcoholism. She she has she made a profession of faith and was baptized a little over a year ago. She's been clean for about a year. Uh, she attends AA meetings, NA meetings, Narcotics Anonymous meetings. Uh, she goes to church, and she has been. Now, of course, she's got a lifetime of struggle against addiction and against sliding back into that. So when I see a phone call like that, I'm thinking, Oh no, please, please, no, no relapse, no. Not not drinking, not drugs. Please let it be. Let it be something. Let it be good news. Let it be positive news. Because her life was. I mean, we could we you could write a book. I mean, in fact, she's considering writing a book about her life and how horrible it got. And it, and it was. She ended up, if I remember correctly, she ended up basically almost homeless. And. I believe it's literally Hell, Michigan. I think or far or not far from Hell, Michigan. She ended up in uh, literally. I mean, from a human perspective, not obviously literal hell, which would be worse, but from a human perspective, a living hell with her life completely and utterly destroyed, with basically nothing left. I mean, it it was bad. It was horrible. And I'm just grateful and praise God that it appears salvation has occurred. And most importantly, well, that's most importantly, but from a human perspective, most importantly, that she's clean and not doing all the horrible drugs that she was doing. So I, I was I was worried to call. I'm just going to be honest. I was worried to pick up that phone. But before I tell you what happened when I pick up that, when, when I made that phone call, before I even go there, I want us to take just a few minutes this evening. Right before I'm going to leave that right there as kind of the tease. Right, I'm just going to leave that there. What what happened when I made the phone call? What happened? Well, I'm not going to tell you right now because we've got to talk. When it comes to the Christian perspective on our viewing other people, the Christian perspective is one of we are to put other people before ourselves. We are to love people. Right. At least as much as we love ourselves, we are supposed to love them. We're supposed to care for them. We're supposed to look out for them. We're not supposed to be a stumbling block to them. And in many cases, we are, we not only are we willing, we're supposed to give up our liberty 
if it could cause someone to stumble, if it could cause someone some great difficulty. The Bible speaks of this in a number of places. I don't have time to exegete all of these texts, but we will at least look at some of the verses and some of these sections. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, Christians talk about this one all the time. Christians love to talk about this, I, and pastors love to preach it. I, to be honest with you, I, I, I know this is going to sound like I'm being hyperbolic and I'm just being exaggerating, but there's a part of me that believes we should just rip this completely out of our Bibles because no church and no Christian actually believes this because we're never going to put it into practice when push comes to shove. Oh, we may do so in little ways, but in big ways, we're like, absolutely not. You, you've got the problem. You get over it. But here is the situation in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. There's a problem going on in the in the city of Corinth, and it's creating a problem inside the church. And here's what's happened. There's there's some people who at who well, there are things happening in the city where food is being offered up unto idols. And of course, the idol doesn't eat it. It's it's just it's left there. And then after a period of time, that meat would be taken and then sold in the marketplace. Where were there some Christians who came out of idolatry who were like, there's no way I can eat that meat. It was offered into an idol. It would be wrong. It would be satanic. It would be demonic. It's not. And others were like, they just laid it in front of a statue. It, nothing happened. I mean, the meat's not contaminated with demons. Get over yourself. And so there was a, a struggle. Like, wait, no, you can't do that. No, you can't. No, you can't. And there was, there was back and forth. And so Paul steps in to tell the church a little bit about what they should do. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat or are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Hey, look, meat, this eating of meat has nothing to do with your spirituality, whether you eat it or whether you don't eat it. You're not better, you're not worse. You're not better because you don't eat it and you're not worse off because you do. It, stop it. It, it. You're making this something that it isn't. But take heed. All right. In other words, the spiritual reality, the theological reality is this eating meat or not eating meat doesn't have any impact on your spirituality. But take heed. Lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see, see thee which has knowledge, uh, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be em em emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And, th and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when, but when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat maketh bro your, my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. It's a basic, it's a basic principle. The truth is, it has no spiritual bearing, but the reality is, it could cause a weaker brother to stumble, to perish. It could lead to great spiritual harm. So what is your responsibility? Don't do it. Don't eat meat. You would give up that for your weaker brother. Now, you just apply this to most churches. Someone comes into your church. They're a vegan. They, in their minds, eating meat is horrible. It's the cruelty. It's ungodly. It's, it's not showing love for God's creatures. It's a horrible thing. And it greatly impacts them spiritually. Well, how many churches would be like at our next, next church fellowship? It's going to be all vegan. 
because we don't want to offend a younger and people would be like that vegan needs to get over it they need to get over it see when it push comes to shove we're not so good at saying whoa 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 wait a minute wait a minute let's give up our liberty for the sake of the weaker no we're basically like the weaker needs to get over themselves the weaker need to fit figure it out we're not we're patient and some things but in other things we're like that's your problem it's not mine but we're supposed to be looking out for the other person. This is the basic principle. Now, I've got other passages. We can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where we see the same kind of concept. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Just, just don't seek your own, just don't seek your own good, your own advancement. Worry about other people, worry about other people. Think about them. When they are weak, you're weak. When they weep, you weep. When they're happy, you're happy. It, Christianity is supposed to be about you denying yourself, you dying to yourself to look out for the other person. Now, we, are all, we all fall short of this, but this should be the basic mindset that Christians have. And it definitely should be the basic mindset of a church. You think the last thing a church would want to do is not consider the weaker, not consider those. And we could also go and, and look at Romans chapter 14, where some of these same principles are applied. I could really push this out. The thing is, you are to, look, you have liberty. Don't use that liberty to hurt anyone. If it, someone else is going to be hurt, you give up your right for them. You sacrifice your right for them. You don't cause anyone to stumble. You look out for the other person. You care. You place the other person before you. This is like Christianity 101, but leave it to the American church to say, we don't care about you because we've got to be, well, us. Now, let's go back to the phone call. So I see the note and I'm like, oh boy. What happened? I walk back into my like entertainment room where my television stereo equipment is, and I grab the phone and I call my sister and I'm like, so hey, what's up? She's like, hey, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, and you could just tell in her voice she was upset. You could hear in her voice a little bit of anger. She was kind of, I mean, she was kind of mad. So she began to explain what was going on. The church she has been going to is at a I don't know how far it is from where she is, but because of her situation, I don't know if she didn't, ha didn't have transportation, didn't have a car. I don't know. But she realized that there was another church relatively close to where she's currently living. I don't know all of her details because our, our, we still don't have, we don't, we're not very close. We don't talk all the time. We go long periods of time without talking. We went years without talking. So, um, so I don't know all the details, but I know that, that where she lives, there was another church close to, to this. But now this church is somewhat is connected. The, the, her church, I, they helped start this. They support it. They promote it. They tell everyone, hey, if you're ever in that area, go to that church. So there's some kind of working relationship connection between the two churches. She, she thought, okay, I'll go to this church. So she went to the church. She says the sermon was okay. It was on Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, she said, you know, it was pretty good. I don't know theologically if it's a good church or a bad church. I'm just, I'm just praise God that she's made a profession of faith and 
you know, she's, she's going to church and she's trying to live out her Christian life. That's, I'm more worried. I'm just more worried about that right now than, than anything else. If she has theological questions, obviously I would help her, but I was just so happy that, okay, so she went to church. So I'm like, okay, so she went to church. So is she going to ask me some, the- so then I'm start thinking, oh, she's going to ask me theological questions. She's going to be like, I was confused by this. Okay, great. Call, you're calling your brother who's went to all, all the only thing I know is theology. That's all I know. All right. So, so she, okay, I'm going to get to use some of my theological knowledge. I'm going to get to impress my sister of how much I know. And then she started telling her story. And I was like, oh no. So here's what happened. She's sitting there. The sermon is over. Once the sermon is over, they start inviting everyone. Hey, after church, join us for a chaser. A what? A chaser. Now, in some drinking cultures, those who drink, a chaser usually, I think it's like, what, it's a tequila shot, and then you chase it down with a beer. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but something like, and so she was like, she immediately kind of stopped, like, wait, they're inviting me to a a Sunday chaser? Then like, yes, we're going to be meeting at a brewery. We're inviting all of you to come along and have a beer with us. Come along and we're going to drink, right? Basically, and it's a brewery. They're calling it a chaser. They say, have a beer with us. And oh, we're going to give out everyone goodie bags. And so she gets a goodie bag. And in the goodie bag is coupons for dollar beers. Now, here's my daughter or my daughter, my sister, who's a recovering alcoholic, who's only been clean for a year, a recovering hardcore drug user. And she's in church and they're like, come with us and have a beer. And now clearly they're promoting the beer first, right? They call it a chaser. They're giving you coupons. It's happening at a brewery. Clearly they're promoting, the drinking is being put in the forefront. It's not like, hey, come and we're going to have time of fellowship. I mean, I know I hate that word that Christians use, but we're going to have a time of fellowship. We're going to get together. We're going to have some food. We're going to have some games. No, no. They put the idea that have a chaser, come to with us and have a chaser, come with and drink a beer. And here's coupons for beers for a dollar. Now, clearly they worked something out with the brewery. And so my sister, I keep wanting to say my daughter, my sister is sitting there like, what is happening? What is going on? And then she said these words. I thought the church would be a safe place for my sobriety. I thought the church would be a safe place for my sobriety. Nope. Church is not a safe place for your sobriety because the church wants to be edgy. The church wants to be cool. The church wants to be hip because it's really cool to let everyone know, hey, you just heard the sermon. Hey, and then you know what she said? The sermon was on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and everyone bowed the knee, and I felt like that I was the only one standing going, no, 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 no. I'm not going to go and do that because it will destroy my life. I'm not going to go do, I'm not going to go with you guys. 
Now, I told her, look, on one hand, you do have to understand the Bible does not condemn drinking. It condemns drunkenness. Now, even though I know that, I would give you 500 reasons why not to drink, right? Number one, no one's ever become an alcoholic by not drinking. I mean, it's just a fact. To me, I've got enough problems. I got a, I got a sin nature. And the last thing my sin nature needs is a Sunday chaser. The last thing my, the, the last thing my sinful nature needs is a late night nap, a nightcap. The last thing my, the last thing my sinful nature needs is happy hour. The last thing my sinful, I, my sinful nature does not need alcohol. Me, me, myself, and I, we're, we, we're, we're bad enough problems with the sinful nature. It doesn't need anything that would in any way either lead to addiction or bring down my, you know, basically bring down my ability to, bring, to make rational judgments and basically remove all inhibition, that last thing. So I, I always, when I talk about alcohol, I don't even look at it from a biblical perspective. I look at it from a very logical perspective. How many lives have been destroyed by alcoholism? How many horrible things have happened to women because they were drunk and taken advantage of? How many people have died because of drinking and driving? How many people are, are, are you know, are recovering alcoholics or drug addicts? I just look at all the damage, all of the broken marriages and destruction and child abuse and horrible things that have happened at the hands of alcohol. And I just simply ask it from a logical perspective, forget Christianity, forget the Bible. What, why? Why pursue that? Now, yes, some people drink and never have a problem. That's wonderful. Others, you don't know. They can have one drink, boom. Next thing you know, they're basically an alcoholic. Some, maybe a thousand drinks. You never know when that lever is going to be pulled in the mind. So I tried to tell her, though, from a biblical perspective, it's not wrong because the Bible does not condemn drinking. However, it is the most insensitive foolish thing that I've ever seen a church do, but I am not surprised. Now, she was shocked. She was like, wait a minute, you're not surprised by this? I'm like, no, no. It's, it, this is very popular in the reform circle, right? The reform circle loves to do, we're going to meet at a pub. We're going to meet at a bar and we're going to talk. It's, it's going to, they, they'll call it something like beer and theology, brew and theology, theology. And, and, and it's like, it's, it's almost like a badge of honor. We're reformed in our theology and we're not going to give in to some nonsense about alcohol being wrong. And so I, it's always like they brag about it. And, I, and I'm always just looking at them like, what are you trying to prove, man? Come on. It's so foolish. So they, they'll take a picture. They got to post it on social media. They're all drinking a beer with their Bibles open because that's godly. That, that they're real. I don't know what that's. It's just flaunting your liberty. It's just shoving your liberty in everyone's face. And my question always be, let's say someone goes to beer and theology night every week for six months and they become an alcoholic. Does anyone in that group take any responsibility that they didn't look out for someone and they place something in their hands that destroyed their lives? To me, this was basically them saying, hey, we don't care about anyone in this building who may be struggling with addiction or is a recovering alcoholic. We're going to basically place the temptation in front of you. I mean, I made the joke. Why didn't they just in the goodie bag also give everyone a free subscription to Pornhub or some pornographic website? Why didn't they just go ahead and do that as well? Now, I know what you're saying. Pornography is a sin. Alcohol is not a sin. I understand. But both are destructive and addictive. So I told her, look, on one hand, it's not wrong. Alcohol is not wrong. 
But on the other hand, the Bible lays out the church's mindset. They're supposed to be thinking about other people. They may have the liberty to get together and drink, but they shouldn't flaunt it or put it out there that could cause someone to stumble. The church could pick a million locations of things to do to get together. They could pick all kinds. They could pick a place where alcohol is sold. They just don't have to promote the alcohol. They don't have to give you the coupon for the alcohol. They could give you a coupon for an appetizer. They could do something. They don't have to promote the alcohol. They don't have to. They put the alcohol at the forefront. Join us for a Sunday chaser. Come have a beer with us. We're going to be at a brewery. Everything that was said, put the alcohol first and the consideration of the weaker brother second. So my daughter, my, I can't my daughter, my sister. Yeah, you know, I'm very upset about this situation. My sister then feels like, well, church is not safe. I'm like, well, clearly that church is not safe. So she's, so we talked about what to do. I'm like, look, here, I would talk to the pastor, not of that church, but of your church, because since he's associated with the other church and just share, say, look, I understand alcohol is not a sin. Getting drunk is. I'm just going to let you see here from my perspective what it felt like as someone who's been clean for just about a year that basically the church is saying, hey, come come with us and have a drink. That's the last thing I need to do. That's the, la- that's the last thing. She doesn't even need to be around it. She doesn't even need to be within a million miles of it. And the last thing she needs to do is have that thrown in her face in church. And I said, just, just offer your, don't make any demands. Don't make any threats. Just say, hey. Here's what they're doing. I, you may not think it's considerate, uh, wrong, but I just want you to hear it from the perspective of a recovering addict. I want you to hear it from a, the perspective of someone because, you know, she's like, I, I feel safe in my AA and NA meetings, but no, I no longer feel safe in, in a church. Now, I said, well, don't go back to that church. Go to your church because your church has never done this. And she's like, no. I'm like, well, then just go back to your church. If they say we agree with it and we're going to do the same thing, then we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I said, but at this point, don't be talking to other people. Don't be saying negative things. Just, and that's how come I'm not going to give the name of the church or anything along those lines. I'm like, just try to just offer your perspective calm. And I said, just make sure you do tell him that you thought church was safe for your addiction, for your sobriety. You thought it was safe. I just think sometimes churches are more worried about getting new people than they are ministering to the people that are present. I think sometimes the church is more concerned with being hip, cool, and relevant than they are and ministering to the people present. I understand there's a lot of pressure on a church. I understand. You're a pastor. Your, your identity is that you're a pastor. It's your career. 
And I understand that if there's not a lot of people in the congregation, you feel like you're a failure. You, you feel like that you're embarrassed. You don't want people to think that you're a pastor of a little, you want people to think you're a pastor of a booming, successful church. There's a lot of ego that gets involved, but you can't, you gotta, you gotta work through all of that noise and all of your mess and all of your trouble. And you just gotta remember, I'm here to minister to people. I'm here to look out for people. I'm here to try to make them better. And, and, it, and, and sometimes we may have to sacrifice what is cool and hip and relevant for the good of other people. And and it's not like alcoholism is some, you know, secret that nobody knows of. Just do a Google search for how many people suffer from or either recovering al- alcoholics or suffering with alcoholism right now at this moment. Talk, do a Google search for how many people at this very moment are suffering from either recovering drug addicts or dealing with massive uh, addiction to some kind of serious drug. There are millions and millions and millions of people. This is not a unique thing. There was a, there was a, I think it was in Michigan. I don't know what year this was, but uh, we, we were having a discussion about it, that there was a hospital, a basically like a rehab center for Catholic priests who had become alcoholics. I mean, this is not a new thing. Alcoholism is real. So the church has to be like, hey, I think maybe if we get together, let's just not promote the alcohol. And let's promote the get together, okay? Right? Let's promote the get. Let's not promote the. Now, if alcohol is available there, you know, in other words, if you're going to meet at a certain restaurant or a certain place and they sell alcohol, okay. Then now the alcoholic has to obviously negotiate that. But this is basically the church saying, no, come to have a beer. Look in your goodie bag. Look what you got. You got a coupon for dollar beer. Come on. Probably the cheapest thing you can drink today. I mean, what, what do you, and then join us for a Sunday chaser for a chaser. What, what? I mean, it's like, it's trying to use the language of the drinking culture. All, I guess what I want you to learn from this is that not only do we as individuals, but the church has to maintain the right mindset. Look out for the other person, minister to other, other person. Don't be a stumbling block. Be When they are weak, you are weak. Place them before you. Give up your right and your liberty if it causes someone to stumble. I'll just use my own example. For those who know, I absolutely love music. Love, 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 music, love, music. I could talk about music every single day. I can make a reference to a song every single day. I could I could tie anything you say probably to a lyric. I could post about music all I'm listening to this, listening. I try my best to be very careful about who I talk to music about. Because for some people, that's a stumbling block. For some people, that's meat offered unto an idol. For some people, that would be detrimental. So if someone's around me or get in the car, I'm not going to turn on music that I could cause them to stumble or fall. Now, if I have someone who likes music and they don't have a problem, then I may be more open with it. I try to be careful with what I share and what I don't share. I may watch a certain movie that could be a problem for other people. I try to be careful about what I share. What I want, I try to be. I try to be as considerate as I can be. I don't always do a good job. I fall short. I mean, because we're we're self centered. We're we're all by nature narcissists. We, all we ever really care about is ourselves, and we see ourselves. We want to promote ourselves. I mean, we're very much that way. But the church sometimes loses this. We're called to think about the weaker 
And we're to sacrifice for the weaker. And I'm telling you, I'll just use the example. Churches who love the potlucks and the fellowship meals, just have one person say, I believe eating meat is a sin. And I'd be like, you're wrong. Fix your theology. We're not changing our, nobody would be like, no, we need, let's have a vegan fellowship then. Every other month, it'll be all vegan. Once a month, it'll be this. And so that at least you can participate. Would, would everyone in the church be willing to do that? I don't know. I think some congregations would. Others would be like, what kind of liberal nonsense is that? Oh, well, it's called, I don't know. How about care about the weaker? How about look out for them? How about you're willing to sacrifice you, the food you want? Now, some of you will side with the church. I understand you're going to think the church is okay, that what they did was all right. I would just challenge you according to the biblical principles, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, and Romans 14. I could probably find more that I believe that they were in the wrong. Now, I know we got people who listen in other countries where alcohol is just like a normal thing everywhere. Everywhere it's just a normal thing. So you may not even understand my perspective, you may think my perspective is ridiculous, but I think in many of those countries where alcohol, I don't know, I would have to look up the statistics in your country, but I bet you alcoholism is a problem there as well. Wherever people drink, alcoholism is a problem. Wherever people drink, it, it, there are problems. It's just the way it works. There, there's, there, is a, there is a cause and effect. There's a danger associated with it. And I've just seen too many lives destroyed. I've seen just absolutely horrible things happen. Alcohol, the stories, and just working in the medical world and seeing that. I'm just like, what happened? What happened to you? Well, I got drunk. Well, I got drunk. I was drinking. I was at a party. This happened. It's always something. And you're like, oh, man. And you almost always trace it back. And alcohol is somehow involved. Alcohol is somehow involved. I understand. I can't say it's a sin to drink. I understand that. That would be adding to scripture and I would never do that. But man, the church has to understand there's people out there who struggle. Why? I mean, you know, hey, we're going to meet at the strip club because they got a good buffet. So join us. We got a coupon in there for a special kind of dance. I mean, I mean, like, I just don't understand. I, I just don't get it. And, and look, I don't get it from the reform people as well. I'm, I'm reformed, but when I see the reform people flaunting their alcohol, flaunting their alcohol, it's like the minute someone goes from, say, a non-reformed church to a reformed church, the first, they want to brag about that they drink now. They want to post their alcohol. Why are you flaunting your alcohol? I don't understand what you're flaunting. If you want to drink, drink. Do it responsibly. Do not cross over to drunkenness because that's a sin. Please don't become addicted and destroy your life. But here's the least you can do. Do it in a private way where you don't cause anyone else to stumble and look out for the weaker brother. And when you find that person who's struggling with alcohol, do what you can to help them. Be weak with them. Be weak with the weak. Be strong with the strong. Mourn with those who mourn. Weep, be joyful with those who are joyful. Look out for the other person. We're, we all have a sinful nature. Look out for one another. I don't always look out for other people. I've made horrible mistakes there. But man. 
I don't know what else to say. I really don't know what else to say. I just hope my, my sister has a good conversation with the pastor. I hope it goes well. Because I, the last thing I want her to go through now is some major church controversy and have to find another church. I don't want that. We got to, I just want her sobriety to be maintained. I want her to just, that's, I don't want her to get now frustrated with Christianity. I don't want her to become discouraged with Christianity. I don't want her to think, oh, this is a bunch of garbage and I'm sick of this. I don't even need this. No, she needs the church to be a place of protection. And I know no church is perfect. I I understand that. There's always going to be some kind of problem, but man. A recovering addict should not have to walk into church and be like, hey, join us afterwards for a Sunday chaser. Have a beer with us. But I mean, I don't know, was the sermon too much? And now you got to drink because you had to listen to a sermon? I, mean, I don't understand. It's Sunday afternoon for crying out loud. I mean, you, you can't drink something else? <laughs> I, just, I just, I don't know. All right, you can email me your disagreements here. Newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for at least allowing me to share this. I just I just wanted to use the story more to get to the concept, the biblical concept of how we are to act, not only as a congregation, but as individuals. And I'm saying this right out. I, I mess up all the time. I, you know, I, I'm selfish. I'm selfish. I try to do my best, but man, it just, it just tore me up. When my, when my sister said those words, I thought the church would be a safe place for my sobriety. I mean, I broke. I was like, wow. Wow. And I just had to tell her, it's not a new thing. Churches do this kind of promoting drinking, brew your own beer, get together with the other men of the church to brew your own beer. All this just nonsense that Christians do without any thought about anybody else. Newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Thank you for joining us for all the live broadcasts that we did today. I think we covered a lot. We started off by talking about beards and we ended, ended it talking about beer, okay? We started it about beards and ended it with beer. And if you look at the beard situation and the beer situation, the church has got some serious problems. But don't we all? Let's help each other. Thanks for listening. God bless.